So good to be with you. I want to say good morning to our Noonan campus here. Good morning to our LaGrange campus and everyone who is watching online. I'm so excited about this morning. For those of you who uh, know me well, you know that I don't drink coffee. You've heard me say that before. I don't like it. I was so excited about this message that I did not sleep much last night. So I came in and did something I never do. I don't drink a lot of caffeine. I took, drank some coffee, and I'm not going to lie. I'm a little jittery right now and a little excited. So y'all stick with me this morning. It's hard to believe it's week three of our series at Ventus. Christmas Eve is next Sunday. Where has the time gone? It just has flown by. Um, but we are really excited about what God has been doing in this series. And today, I believe God has something special for us. As we were planning out our Adventist series, one thing our team wanted to do was to make sure we hit the highlights of what the holiday season really brings out. And one of those things that we kept talking about was relationships in our lives. And as I was studying and preparing for this message, there was a theme that was pretty evident and obvious, was that relationships, not only during the holiday season, but honestly for our entire life, are not easy. Some relationships are, but some relationships are not easy. I ran across a couple polls. Here here is one that I found. A a poll on things that people don't like about the Christmas season. The first thing it said was, people don't like when they're asked questions about their life, work, and school relationships. Another one said that they don't like it when they have to interact with people that they only know a little bit or they've only met once in their life? Do you ever have that awkward conversation when you sit down with somebody at a family gathering or you go to a friend's party and you're like, I think I know you, I can't remember your name, are you my cousin? What's going on here, right? Another one for all you single people out there, this was a top one, you don't like it when you get questions brought up about if you're dating someone or when you're going to get married. Did you know this about the holiday season? The holiday season is the highest time in the year for depression, with the main reason being loneliness. I was looking through Twitter, and this popped up this week. According to a consumer report, 20% of people get stressed over seeing certain relatives during the holidays. Anybody in here get stressed over seeing certain relatives? Yeah, it happens. I know it happens for you, LaGrange. If you're watching online, you might be stressed over some people coming to your house this week. Or you might be stressed about having to travel and see certain people. You kind of get a little bit of anxiety about it. So obviously, relationships are important during the holiday season and are a big part of our life in general. That one article I read, it talked about it's good to set up rules in your relationships, which I believe is very good advice. But this article is talking about things not to do in your relationships. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' example and talk about things we should do in our relationships. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, I thank you that you created us to have a relationship with you and relationships with others. And God, right now, we dig into that. We want to learn from you. We want to hear from you. I pray that you give us open hearts and open minds to what you're wanting to teach us today. God, I pray you would shut me up. And God, that your words would be heard this morning. God, that your scripture and your, ver- and your Bible, Lord, would just speak out so loud this morning. Lord, that all glory and honor will be given to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we all have relationships in our life. Whether you consider yourselves an, an outgoing person or not, 
whether you're you think you're an introvert or an extrovert, every single one of us has relationships. And, and this term relationships can deal with so many different things. It might be your spouse. It might be your children. It might be a friend, a parent, a child, a coworker, a dating relationship. Maybe it's a neighbor. It's so on and so on. I mean, it can go forever on the different types of relationships that you have in your, your life. You see, relationships are constant in our life because, as we just said, one of the reasons God created us was to have a relationship with him and to have a relationship with others. Now, the tough thing about relationships is that relationships can be this great source of joy and they can also be this great source of heartache. Relationships can be this great source of encouragement and they can also be a source of pain. So as we look today and we look at these relationships I want us to understand that we all play an important part in every single relationship that we have. And so let's look at what the Bible tells us on how we should be handling these relationships in our life. It's important that we lay the foundation first before we dig into more details. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. If not, the verses will be on the screen. It says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Each of these verses are very significant right here in this moment as we are understanding relationships. And I love that it ends with that right there. All the law and prophets hang on these two things. So we instantly see that the Bible is putting a very large emphasis on relationships. And all throughout the Bible, all the the way from Genesis, throughout the whole thing, to Revelation, we hear the Bible talking about these two relationships, with the most important being your relationship with God, and then it says, second, your relationship with others. So what I want us to do this morning is think about the relationships in your life. The Bible just laid out for us the priorities of what our relationships are should be. So what I want everyone to do, and I really mean everyone in this room, if you're in the Grange, I want everyone to do that there, and if you're at home, just grab a piece of paper. But everyone in the room, I want you to grab this, this Connect card. There should be one in the back of your seat, so I want to see lots of movement. Nice. A lot of people are bending forward, grabbing the Connect card. They're sitting on the front row. You might be sitting on it, so grab it in LaGrange. You might be sitting on this as well. Please grab this Connect card. This is going to be important, because I want us all to learn this today, because God taught me so much as I was studying this. What I want us to do is we're going to line out our relationship priorities today to make sure that we know, okay, with what we're going to learn, what relationships am I going to apply this to? So in this prayer request box, it's on the bottom, everybody write one through five and give yourself a little space to fill in stuff beside it. Write one through five. What we're going to do is we're going to write down our relationship priorities. So if you don't have a connect card and pin in your hand, nudge the person beside you. Tell them to grab it, and we're going to write this down, all right? So, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian in here today, the first relationship that should be your number one priority in your life is Jesus. So beside number one, write Jesus. That's what we just learned in that verse. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord. If you're not a Christian in here today, what is the most important relationship in your life? I know you might not be a Christian, So what is the number one 
relationship in your life. Write that down right there. All right. So what is number two? If you're married, that should be your spouse. So for me, that's Lauren. I wrote Lauren's name. (laughs) Just for clarity, in LaGrange, if you didn't hear that, someone just said they also wrote Lauren's name down. Nate's wife's name is also Lauren. (laughs) He's not talking about mine. All right? If you're not married, (laughs) if you're not married, what's your next most important relationship in your life? Write that in there. Then number three, if you have kids, that should be your number three right there. It's your kids. So it's God, your spouse, your kids. Or what is it for you? Is it God, a friend, a coworker? Whatever it may be. If you don't have kids, fill something else in there. Right there, that's McKenna and Aria for me. So then what's number four and five for you? What are four and five? Is it a coworker? Is it a best friend? Is it a boss? Is it a family member? Go ahead and fill in number four and five as well. And if you've got to think about it for a minute, that's okay. Think about it as we continue through this. So, what if this holiday season was a start of a new way of viewing your relationships? You're, we're going to all have great opportunities this next week and as the new year comes to spend time with family and friends. So, what if we take what we're about to learn and change the way we view our relationships? Now that we have our most important relationships written down, and it's also good to understand that what we learned today, we're going to apply hopefully throughout 2018 and for the rest of our lives. But let's lay down some more groundwork. As we celebrate Advent, it begs the question of why did Jesus even come in the first place? That's what Advent is, a celebration that he came in the first Advent as a baby, and now we're in anticipation mode with great expectancy for him to come again for the second Advent. So why did Jesus even come? Why did he even come to earth as a baby? Look at this verse, because it all deals with relationships. Matthew 20, 28 tells us this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, this is the complete opposite of what people expected. All throughout the Old Testament, they were waiting for this long-promised Messiah to come. And as people were expecting a king... They were expecting this this great king to come who was waited on hand and foot, who had this great castle and palace, all these different servants. And Jesus said the complete opposite. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We instantly see that Jesus' understanding of relationships was about what he could do for others instead of what others could do for him. It's the opposite of what the world teaches us, right? There's a story in the Bible that correlates so well with the scripture from Matthew, and it's found in John 13. This passage will hopefully give us all a great challenge and will impact our relationships greatly today. It's important before we jump into John 13 to understand the timeline of this story. This, these passages happen right before Jesus is arrested and put to death on the cross. So what we're about to read and what we're about to learn from is one of the last things that Jesus taught his disciples and it all centers around relationships. 
So let's look at John 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Right, we're going to pause right there for just a moment. I want you to think about this scene. They were already eating this traditional meal. It was a big deal. It was something they waited for every year, the Passover feast and festival. It says the meal was already in progress, and Jesus saw a moment. He saw a moment of need and saw a moment to teach his disciples. He got up from the meal, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, I started thinking through this. Imagine how inconvenient this would be for both parties in this story. Jesus would have cleaned his hands and started eating already. But Jesus saw a moment where he needed to teach his disciples something. So it says, after the meal had already started, Jesus got up. He wrapped a towel around his waist and started washing his disciples' dirty feet. Now that sounds really inconvenient for Jesus, but also think about the disciples in this scenario. Can you imagine going to lunch here in just a little while? And all of a sudden someone comes up and starts washing your feet? Now I don't know about you, but I would have at least waited till the end of the meal, right? Like, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'm sitting here eating food. Why am I going to do this? And God taught me something very important about the relationships in our life in this moment. And it's this. There should be a healthy amount of inconvenience in our relationships. There should be a healthy amount of inconvenience in our relationships. You see, Jesus saw this need and he did not make excuses. And he got up and did what needed to be done. This really convicted me. Because listen, if everything is always convenient in our relationships, then our relationships might be centered around selfishness. It's a tough one, isn't it? If everything is convenient in our relationships, then our relationships might be centered around selfishness. If your relationships, if they are just all convenient, then you're missing certain relationships in your life that God wants you to have. You see, convenience and compatibility should not be the only requirements that you have in your relationships. I try to pray a lot. God, put someone in my way so I can show them your way. <laughs> it's funny how God answers those prayers. Because it's not always at the most convenient time. And trust me, it's not always with someone who I'm most compatible with. God, put someone in my way so I can show them your way. You see, but we serve a God who never saw relationships with people as an inconvenience. To share a few examples, he didn't look at the demon-possessed man who ran up after he got on the boat and people were waiting on Jesus. He didn't look at the man and tell him to go away. He didn't see that as an inconvenience when everyone else was like, don't touch this man, don't be around him. Jesus didn't look at Jairus as Jairus ran up to him pleading with him to heal his daughter. 
And Jesus didn't say, look at the crowd. I can't do this right now. These people were waiting on me. Jesus said, let's go. On his way to heal Jairus' daughter, the woman who had been bleeding for years and years with no help, when she touched Jesus, Jesus didn't say, wait, what are you doing? Can you not see I'm on my way to something important? I'm going somewhere. Why would you do this? We serve a God who never sees a relationship with us as inconvenient. You see, if our lives are only filled with comfortable relationships, then the convenience can lead to complacency. We need a healthy dose of inconvenience in our relationships so we are challenged and changed by the commission of the gospel. That's what we're called to do. If we don't have that healthy dose of inconvenience, then we might become complacent when the commission of the gospel is not always convenient, it's not always easy, and it's not always comfortable. Do we have these relationships in our life where we are challenged and changed by the commission of the gospel? You see, the love of Christ seeks out inconvenience. Sometimes we have to be in relationships with people we don't like, And we don't always get along with, right? Whether it's a work relationship or a family relationship. But those are the relationships that God has put in our life. When we look at our relationships through the lens of how Jesus looks at relationships, then we see that the inconvenience can lead to something incredible. Take for example, do you have that friend who always calls you? And you know every time you pick up the phone, they're going to complain about something or share a problem? How many times you're like, decline or silence? You know what's going to happen. But guess what? That's a cry for help. You have a chance to change the inconvenience into something incredible as you share the love of Christ with them, as you share hope with them. Do you pass the same person at work every single day or at school every single day? And you all say the same thing to each other. Good morning, how you doing? It's kind of routine, right? Every now and then do they say, not that good this morning. And you kind of have that moment of, oh, what do I do? All right, great, see you later. Right? Or is that a key? Is that a moment where you go, you know what? I was on my way to my office. I was on my way to a meeting. I got to get that report in or answer those emails. But you know what? I'm going to take this moment of what I might view as inconvenience and change it into the inspirational. You all know where I'm going with this. As your family's traveling in this week, or as you have to go to see certain family, I know sometimes it feels inconvenient, but what if you took that moment of inconvenience to share the love of Jesus with your family? The relationships in our life need a healthy dose of inconvenience. God really slapped me in the face with this this week. I was finishing up my message, and I'm not lying. This is a true story. I had just got done writing this portion of my message on inconvenience. I had to step out of my office to answer a couple questions. And a staff member walks up to me and says, Hey, Caleb, a gentleman just walked into the office, and he needs someone to talk to. Can you go talk to him? The first thought that came to my mind, I'm not going to lie, because I'm not even close to perfect. The first thought that came to my mind, I was about to say, you know what, I can't right now. I'm so close to finishing my message that I need to get this done. Then the Lord slapped me upside the head. He's like, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm doing this on purpose. I was like, oh my goodness. I had literally, I am not lying, I had just got done writing that. 
I set my stuff down. I walked up front and I got to talk with this gentleman and pray with him that God would do a miracle in his life. Do you know what happened later? I got done with my message, got a phone call. This gentleman called the office asking for me. I wasn't available, so I had to call him back. You know what they said? You prayed over us, and God delivered. Don't miss the inconvenient in your life because God may be preparing a miracle. Don't miss the inconvenient in your life because God has something incredible. Too many times we pass off the inconvenient of, I don't have time for this. Oh, I don't get along with that person. I don't want to do this when God's saying, guess what? I stepped into your inconvenience and now you have salvation. Share it. Be life change. Be hope. Be truth. God did not create us to be comfortable. He created us to go into all the world, preaching the gospel, go to every person, go to the unlovely, go to those people we don't get along with, and share Jesus. If y'all can't tell, I got fired up about that. When we, <laughs> when we view relationships through the lens of Jesus, all of a sudden you find yourself searching out the inconvenient because you've witnessed what God can do. You no longer see the inconvenient as the inconvenient. You see it as the anointed. A lot of times I pray, God, give me anointed conversations today. I pair that with that prayer, God, put someone in my way so I can show them your way. You no longer see the inconvenient as something that's a hassle. You see it as a moment to let Jesus shine. You see it as a moment for a miracle. And you see it as a moment for the incredible. Let's jump back into the verses of where Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. We're going to look at starting back in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one of you was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think it's really amazing how God is pairing this message with the message I, I had two weeks ago, where we talked about this woman came and, and she washes his feet with her tears. And now today we're talking about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. God has a plan in all of this. So what can we learn about our relationships from this teaching that, listen, is a direct command from God? He says, do as I have done. He says, I am setting the example for you. That's what those verses told us. And this direct command comes with an incredible reward. And he says, and you will be blessed if you do them. You see, these instructions from Jesus are what he left us with. 
as he was leaving the first advent where he came. These are the instructions. How should we handle our relationships until Jesus comes in the second advent? And his returning, we're learning about those right here. And I love that Jesus did say, do as I have done. He didn't say, do as I've told you so. In the last moments of Jesus' life, he saw it as important to set the example through his actions. He wanted to give us instructions to follow. And sometimes that can be hard for us to do, especially us men, right? You may be having some toys that you're about to have to put together for Christmas. Follow the instructions, okay? All the women are like nudging their husbands like, that's right, follow the instructions. So how are we going to live our life in these relationships? We're going to follow Jesus' instructions. We're going to follow his example. And here's what he taught his disciples and us through his example. Successful God-honoring relationships are built on humility, not status. Our relationships should be built on humility, not status. In this story, we see Jesus, God in the flesh, washing his disciples' feet. The creator of the universe stooping down to the created. We see God humbling himself. And listen, I understand why Peter's first initial reaction was, Jesus, no, you can't wash my feet. Who am I? I understand that. But God was setting the example in this moment. You see, Jesus did not see his status as a reason not to serve. Looking back at verse 12, it says, Do you not understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. So Jesus is recognizing his status right there in that moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. So Jesus is recognizing, yes, I'm God. For that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, recognizing that status again, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus has laying it out perfectly for us right here. That relationships should be built on humility, not ranking. You see, humility is a starting point for closeness in our relationships. A humble heart. So let me ask you, what is your status? And listen, I'm not talking about Facebook status or Instagram posts. Relationships aren't built on likes and comments, okay? What is your status? Is your status husband? Do you show your wife humility? Is your status mom? Do you show your kids humility? Is your status boss? Do you show your employees humility? Is your status friend? Do you show your other friends humility? We could go on and on and on. What is your status to where you are showing humility every day? And listen, this applies both ways. Some of you may think, yes, I have a high status in life. God has given me this platform. And some of you I know right now are thinking, man, I'm a nobody. What do you, what do you mean my status? That's not true. You are a creation tip. You're, you're a creation from the fingertips of God. And guess what? Everybody thought the disciples were made up of a group of nobodies. And look at what they were able to do with the example that Jesus set for them. Because these disciples went out and did this. Philippians 2, 3-5 through 5 tells us this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And what was Christ's mindset? It was humility. The next thing we learn from this story 
is successful God-honoring relationships are focused on serving and sacrifice, not self-satisfaction. Let me ask you something. Is the end goal in your relationships your happiness? If it is, you're wrong. If the end goal in every single one of your relationships is your happiness, then that is not the right end goal. Do you want to be satisfied in your life and in your relationships with others? The crazy thing is you can find that satisfaction through serving. Some of the happiest people I know in life are those who serve others in their relationships. Satisfaction is found in a servant's heart because a servant's heart is our Savior's heart. That's where we find true satisfaction in life. You see, I've come to realize that when we're not humble and when we do not have a servant's heart, that often leads to us becoming offended. Offended is this word that I'm starting to hear even more and more and more in relationships. And as people come and talk to me, that, oh, I got offended. Where does this offense come from? It comes from when we have these preconceived expectations in our relationships because our goal is set for our happiness. So we have these preconceived expectations and when they're not met, then we become offended. Is there a relationship in your life where you've been offended? Is there a relationship in your life that's held back because of hurt, because of pain? You know one detail that I love about the story? is that Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still washed his feet. Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him and that he was going to be beaten and bruised, that he was going to have his beard ripped out, that he's going to be nailed to a cross and have his spear shoved in his side. And do you know what Jesus did in that moment? He knelt down and washed Judas' feet. You know what else is really cool in this scenario? Jesus already knew Peter was going to deny him. Two of his closest friends. Do you have someone in your life who has lied to you, stabbed you in the back, talked about you behind your back? Jesus still knelt down and washed Peter's feet. You see, relationships in our life are built around serving and sacrifice, not self-satisfaction. We need to follow the example of Jesus in our life. A willingness to serve others in our brokenness and pain will lead to a blessing. That's what Jesus tells us. Too many times we let our relationships be focused around faults. And guess what? If when we do that, those relationships are destined for bitterness. But a relationship focused on serving is destined for joy. You see, I, I get the opportunity to sit down with, uh, with some people for marriage counseling. And couples will come in, and because they're feeling this hurt, this pain, this betrayal in their life, and one of the most practical things I get to tell them is this. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel like they don't deserve it, even when you feel like you're the one who's been hurt, serve your spouse. Serve them. What would Jesus do in this moment? Jesus looked at Judas. Jesus looked at Peter and said, I'm still going to serve you. How are you going to serve the relationships in your life? You see, acts of service in your relationship will do more for the position of your heart than it may do for the position of the other person's heart. How do you do this? Maybe it's, it's going home and, and loving on your spouse, cooking them dinner, washing the clothes, maybe doing the chores that they normally do. 
Make it practical for work and school. Maybe you help somebody with a report. You help them with a project, whatever it may be. How are you going to serve the relationships in your life? And listen, I know this can be tough. And I know that a lot of times our relationships are built around this idea of security. Like, I need to feel secure in my relationship. And a lot of times the security in our relationships are built around how people react to our actions. Because you're like, man, I can feel, I can be humble, or I can, I can serve and sacrifice, but sometimes I just struggle with this sense of security in my relationships. Because I don't get the reaction that I want from my actions. That's a real struggle, and I understand that. When, listen, our actions should produce security no matter how the other person reacts, because in, in the grand scheme of things, our actions are for Christ. Listen, Jesus could have treated Judas and Peter totally different in this story. But he didn't. He loved them and he served them. How are we going to do that in our relationships? One thing I tell every couple that I get to counsel is this. If you want to change your relationship, start with yourself. If you want to change your relationship, start with yourself. You may be in here today and you're feeling prompted to change your relationship with Jesus. Whether you're sitting here in Noonan or you're in LaGrange or you're watching online, you're feeling this prompting that I need this Jesus in my life. This Jesus that looked at Judas and Peter and said, I know what you're going to do. I know what you've done. I know what's about to happen. And guess what? I still love you. That's what Jesus is looking at you today. Saying, I know what you've done. I even know what you're going to do. I still love you. You see, Jesus died for you on that cross. There's this thing called the book of life. You see, we wrote down our most important relationships. Jesus wants to write your name down. But the choice is up to you. Jesus has died for you. He rose for you. He's alive for you. And he's ready. He's wanting to to write your name down in his book of life of people who have asked him to be their Lord and Savior and are receiving eternal life. But the choice is up to you today. The whole reason we talked about this is because Jesus said, I'm setting the example. We learned about humility. We learned about sacrifice and service. Do you know what Jesus did? Philippians 2, 8 says, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and your penalty. Because our sin, that's what we deserve. We deserve that penalty. But Jesus humbled himself. God Almighty came to this earth for you. Remember that verse we talked about at the beginning. Why did Jesus even come? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for your life and mine.